Welcome to Lambdaforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lambdaforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today, I am joined by drummer and guitarist Steven Schwegler. I first became aware of Steve through his drumming in the band Piron, a chaotic and cutting-edge death metal band from Philly. Piron are something of a scene unto themselves, as each of the band's members extend into similarly mind-bending projects. Steve's project along these lines is Sepitus, a collaboration with Piron vocalist Doug Moore. Sepit has just released their second album, Phantom Indigo, a dense psychedelic death metal record inspired in part by the book Hallucinations by Oliver Sacks. I had recently picked up the very same book off the street, so I was psyched to give it a read and talk to Steve about his new record as well as his background in engineering, the inspiration he draws from movies, and much more. Thank you for listening. Yeah, so first off, congratulations on getting the record out. I know it's been in the kitchen for a minute. Yeah, man, literally, you can see behind me, I'm in the kitchen, and I mixed it in here. Oh, no <laughs> I mixed, shit, okay. I mixed, I, like, I actually, when I moved to South Philly, I, I mixed quite a bit of it in this room here mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like man you live in new york city you know yep yeah it is true yeah, yeah. um h- how does it feel to have it out in the world uh, it's relief man you know when you work on something for a long time i am i am like you know I, i'm excited about it it's just also when you when you just have worked on something for so long you're just like dude okay <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty thankful it's it's done Mm-hmm. Uh, because I mean, at this point, like everything within the cycle of our three bands and me and the boys, what we get up to, it's Doug's already got weeping sores. You know, we're going to start a new Superon soon. So the rotation is constantly going and kind of things right. have to be moving, you know? Yeah. It seems like this is the once in a blue moon record of the, you know, I guess there's only one weeping source, so I shouldn't say that. Uh, but you know, the Piron seems to operate at the most like, routine release schedule and then the other ones kind of pop in and out yeah i mean piron is is just like the thing that we get the full true collaboration and mm-hmm. uh it's just fun man it's just so fun to do but me and doug do this so in such a solitary manner that like uh it's cool to just get back in the room and just like like fuck around with like real riffs and like mm-hmm. trying different stuff out and doing rhythm section stuff and just jamming for 20 minutes 25 minutes you know yeah, I mean the once in a blue moon thing for this, it's it's actually funny. I actually have like five or six structures for another Sepidus record already <laughs> in the works. So uh it might it might be less than five years this time, thankfully. Cool. Yeah. When yeah. you say structures, does that mean like music written or just sort of conceptual ideas for songs? So songs actually. Like mm-hmm. uh I decided this time my preamble of putting together ideas and doing that stuff was very, very just like it's very skeletal where I know I have titles and I have some stuff that I'm working with, uh, some basic references, but um, it's me and a, another gentleman of mine, another friend who shall be unnamed for the moment uh, who are writing everything together in, uh, in Philly. And uh, so I'm actually not writing it by myself this time either. I'm actually writing it with a friend of mine. And uh, 
he's a fantastic guitar player. So it's going to be really cool to do that stuff more, more rapidly than last time. And I'll probably end up going back and go and saying hi to Joe Smiley up, up there at Red Planet again and doing some more work. So nice. Yeah. So is it, is part of the reason that there was a longer gestation period for this record because that you were doing it alone versus, you know, the more collaborative process, does that sort of force the hand to like keep the the flow moving and keep the releases coming? Oh man, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's never just the one thing. It's uh, mm-hmm. at the time uh, I had just gotten out of the U S Navy. I was doing a sort of a psychological transition and uh, you know, had like a period of about a year or so where I was, wasn't doing much and uh, was trying to piece a record together. And it's sort of like, so it was kind of like a, slow progress and uh, also I just joined Piron so I was trying to learn all the songs that I could even though I, I knew some of them but I just they have so much so much of a back catalog and there's so many tricky things to figure out <laughs> it's not the easiest music to learn especially with Alex Cohen doing the things he does so and then also on top of that you know finding out Doug had this other thing and it's I mean it's just it's just piles of stuff and then I'm also I was attending college I would finally just got done with thank god congratulations <laughs> thanks man <laughs> yeah so i mean i was just busy man i'm just busy um mm-hmm. and that's why it took so long it just happened that like five years was about how long it was gonna take and i wasn't in like kind of big rush to release it because i knew band is not give was out and i was gonna be doing stuff with Piron. so i don't really care particularly if one project takes longer than another one it's just you know just gotta keep it moving right yeah you kind of give it the time to be what it's yeah. got to be yeah. And if you need to put it down, you put it down, you know, mm-hmm. it's just not a big, a big, if you force things, they don't work. Totally. They just don't. They just don't. <laughs> and so I, I am really curious about, because I've been reading all these interviews uh, about this record and just sort of trying to get into your head a bit. Um, mm-hmm, it seems sure. like you've got like a really like top down approach to songwriting where you've got like a, a big concept in mind to begin with and then sort of gradually bring that into the real world by like adding music that like adds to that concept where did you, has that always been like the way that you wrote music or is that something that you picked up along the way? Like, why do you think that you approach songwriting in that way? Oh uh, man. You know, I, I think, uh, I like to think of song titles as scaffolds. Mm. I think a lot of people <laughs> in metal and I, I don't blame them at all. Uh, they don't give a shit about song titles. Uh, you know, my, my, my good friends in Kralis, you know, the, a lot of their stuff, there've been records where they were just like, it was, I, and then the eye symbol and then a larger eye symbol. And it's just, I'm just like, oh man, <laughs> well, the record's good. I don't know any of the songs, but you know, right, right. so I, I think, uh, I think it's a piecemeal thing where I, I don't try to think of one particularly large concept. I like, I like thinking about particular song titles that resonate with me. And I, and I try to think about the best way to musically describe them or flesh those things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I was just talking on the last interview the other day is that there's really, there's no playbook to do that. You kind of just have to let it roll around in your head for a while and think about kind of like how you would describe something. I was telling Cody Davis about tautology and the, the concept of like that, the third song from the last record and about trying to represent a word. And I was just like, well, the word means this, but in my life over the time that I've served the Navy and the people I've known, that word has meant something else. It's been mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, that that historical phrase it is what it is that everybody uses all the time I thought about like how can I put that in song form and that's like an example of things so uh, yeah I, I don't I don't try to go for one particular lofty goal I just like uh, I just like fuck around with the song titles man and just totally. trying lots of different stuff you know and and, and just thinking like oh you know I, that's about as close as I can get to describing that without actually 
having some kind of numeric, like alphanumerical value on it where it's like, I think I got it. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Do you have like an engineering background? I've noticed that that kind of language crops up a lot in the interviews that I've seen with you. Uh, well, that's because I just finished engineering college. Well, there you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my years in the Navy, I was a tech, I was a technician uh, working on avionics before this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I've always had like a technical standpoint and I've always enjoyed like troubleshooting and operating, you know, high tech equipment and like that kind of stuff, technological stuff. And kind of the way that those technologies superimpose on like uh, kind of humanity and like the way that we, we use it to do different stuff, I, I guess. And that led me into like trying to figure out how they build all this shit, you know, it's like, uh, mm. how do you go from a microwave to a radar or vice versa, you know, like, right. That stuff was all very, very interesting to me. And I decided to go the engineering route. And once I started just filling my head with all the stuff, because they throw so much at you like so quickly uh, at the college. Uh, it, I mean, and every day in my internship now, it's, it's a lot of information. And so sometimes a phrase sticks with me and it can be just completely sort of disaffected like technical term, but I, I can think of it in a context that is like a, like a humanitarian context or like a context of like a, like, oh, that's like cold and technological, but it's like also oddly human. You know what I mean? Mm. Like stuff like that sticks and I end up using them as, as song titles sometimes or they give me ideas for other stuff, you know? Right. Like something a phrase that could be very dry in one setting could be loaded with like metaphorical yeah. meaning once you take it into another context. Yeah. Yeah. And, and And when you're using music to express that, I mean, like you can infuse that title with whatever you, you know, your your meaning in that title, I feel like it's 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 more interesting to infuse your music into that and make someone else look at that word differently, mm-hmm. you know, or that title or whatever. And yeah, no, granted, it's not all about titles. Sometimes I just pick the guitar up and I just rip for like an hour, or an hour and a half, and I don't think about titles at all. You know, I just like guitar sick, so <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or you know whatever, um, and that kind of stuff. I mean, the last few times I've gone over and played with the other dude I'm playing with, like we've just like fired up the guitars and. Maybe I'll tell them some stuff in the backyard about what I've been thinking about this or that, or, you know, mm-hmm. it depends, depends. So I've m- known you mostly as a drummer. Like that's how I first got introduced to your playing and your music. So do you think of yourself more as a guitarist or as a drummer? Oh, as a drummer, hundred percent. Always will be uh, a drummer first. Definitely. I just enjoy the instrument. I've played it like my, you know, since I was like 15 and, uh, which is, you know, like it's a later start than some people do, but like, you know, I grew up broke, so. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, uh, How'd you start playing? Uh, my parents grabbed me a kit because they were tired of me smashing everything in the house. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. yeah, I was taking the fan cover off and uh, I joked with like Big Will on a heavy hole the other day. I was like, uh, you know, I used to pull off the steel fan cover and play blind on it uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. The, the, the chords <laughs> I was like, this thing sounds good, man. It's like, yeah. right. Yeah. You can move it around, get those two ride, you know, yeah. sounds on it. Perfect. I had, I remember I used to prop it up with a, I had a piece of amethyst that we got at the Franklin, uh, Franklin Institute. They can sell you the amethyst for like 20 bucks or whatever. It's like a, br- a brick of it. And I used to just sit that on top of the fan cover and just like, <laughs> just whatever, man, you know? Yeah. So I've always loved the drums, man. I always connected with them. I always loved, like, I can always, I've always noticed a really good drummer when it comes out like listening to Matt Cameron play for the first time on Soundgarden mm-hmm. records or back in the day, who's, you know, he's one of my favorites of all time. So that, you know, that, that sounds that bombasticness and everything and the way that it just like, you can take any kind of band and if the drummer's better, the band is just better. Totally. Like, period. You know? Yeah. There's like I, what I call like good drummer and good amp bands, you know, yeah. like yeah. there's bands that like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. that's kind of all you need and you can like yeah. get all the way to the top, just riding like good equipment and a good drummer. 
Yeah, I think you could do that. I mean, I, I definitely, I, I see noise sets sometimes live and I always think like, even if they're like, sometimes they have like electronic beats behind it, but I've seen a lot of noise guys, they don't use any beats or anything. They just go like, wow, 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 wow. And they have the Discovery Channel playing behind them. And I'm like, right. if there was a drummer here, this would be like 600 times better. Totally. You know? Yeah. And no shade on them. They're still pretty, it's still interesting and whatnot, but the drummer would just be like, it would just be like way better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So when did you start picking up guitar then? Well, after I joined the Navy, I couldn't play drums. Uh, we went to, I went to boot camp up in Chicago and uh, as everybody does great lakes or great mistakes, some people say, <laughs> and we went across the street because I, I, I was an aviation guy. I was supposed to go to Florida and Pensacola and uh, a hurricane came through and I think it was Sandy wiped it out, wiped out Pensacola. So I was stuck up there in uh, Chicago for a while. We moved into this barracks that they fumigated the day before for uh, roaches. <laughs> and I bought a guitar and I went to a store. I think it was like, I think I went to an FYE actually in uh, Chicago where we were out in town one day and they just had like this crappy 200 or $250 Epiphone guitar and I just bought it mm-hmm. and uh, was just fucking around with it. And basically just started trying to make myself like just play trim on the guitar, like, and just get my hands like, good at doing that and then right. i started trying to do stuff with frets and never tried to cover anything i was like ah, i'm not doing that for this you know i'm not doing this for that i'm not trying to learn any covers i'm just trying to like figure out how to use this this noise generator you know and i uh, eventually got the hang of trying to do a couple of things and it's gotten a little easier a little better over the years mm-hmm. yeah i was gonna ask like how practicing and like working on your craft works when you're you know in the navy that seems like a, a tough balance to strike oh uh, man you know um in your 20s uh, it's not, <laughs> I, uh, uh, what I used to do is I, I used to work, uh, I worked on P3 Orion's, which is a plane. that's not, not really, uh, around anymore. It's like a, it's like retired, I guess. Uh, and I would work like a four or five day on schedule. Like I, it was a four day on schedule Friday to Monday, like 6 PM to 6 AM. Mm. And so I'd have Tuesday through Thursday off and I'd come home and I'd play guitar all day on Tuesday and stay up all night Tuesday and then play like most of the morning Wednesday and then I'd go out and party with my friends and then I would actually go to sleep Wednesday night like and like just the crazy shit like that that you do in your 20s that you could never do because you feel like like a necromancer or some shit (laughs) 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 I resurrected my body the next morning and I got up I got where I was going yeah uh you know I just my I basically forced it I guess I was in my 20s and I made it happen you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah just like time feels infinite in your 20s because you just don't have any relation for it you know so it's like a a full day feels like a full day where I feel like in your mid-30s a full day feels like like 20 minutes totally I feel like that's like a big thing that you mentioned in that interview with Cody is like the sense of like time dilation with your day and like repeating the same sort of cycles over and over again yeah Especially when it's repeating, man. Yeah, I mean, of course, especially when a day is slow or you're not doing anything or you said, fuck it, you're played fall off for all day or, you know, like, you know, <laughs> shit like that. I mean, whatever, like, uh, you just, you don't remember it because nothing remarkable happens. And the, uh, it, it is like a perception thing of, of just the longer you're alive, the longer like your relation of like noticing the day is like shifted. You know what I mean? I, I think it's like a weird like, warp. I think about it a lot and I probably more than I should. <laughs> I try to stay distracted. You know, that's why I do so many band things. Sure. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so it's interesting, both of the examples that you brought up of like when you started playing both drums and guitar, it seems like you kind of had a pretty clear idea of what you wanted to do 
sort of from the jump, like you wanted to play heavy music. And so how did you first get into heavy music to begin with? Uh, I jumped over from grunge, like I think a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Um, jumped over from Stunt Double Pilots and, and Alice in Chains, which, you know, Alice in Chains is definitely by far the most like metallic of that group. Uh, it slid over to Metallica and then slid over into, uh, I think this was at the time of Morpheus or LimeWire, one of the two. And I was just downloading shit, just like, oh, that looks like this. You know, back in the day, those titles were just like, it was like Z asterisk, like Slayer, blah, 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 like 20 more characters. And you're like, I don't know if this is legit. I don't think this might be a virus or something. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I would just download a bunch of that stuff. And then YouTube came online eventually. And I was watching live videos and, uh, you know, watching Dave Lombardo play and watching, you know, people tear it the fuck up. I guess I kind of just jumped into it feet first with uh, Morbid Angels Gateways to Annihilation and Opeth's Blackwater Park and Neurosis's mm-hmm. Sun That Never Sets was the first one I ever heard. And I was using a site called allmusic.com and it was just like, if you like this, you can listen to this thing. And totally. so they had they had comparison charts that were like, oh, did you, you like Opeth? Have you heard Teal Matt's Wild Honey? I was like, oh no, I'll try, I'll try that. And then it's like a weird ghost, like goth guy in like Sweden. You're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like that record. I like that. I'm, I'm sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, t- I know what you're talking about. It's funny. I, I feel like, I'm, it's a familiar story to you. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> Both like on my own and also like a lot of the people that I've talked to uh, on this podcast are like around this sort of same age group. So there is this sure. period of time of like the, the pre-algorithmic music discovery. Oh, way pre-algorithmic, like fucking uh, <laughs> primordial era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I was sending Doug albums like, hey, Doug, check out the Anata album. I'd send it to him on like, you know, AOL Instant Messenger, like... <laughs> stream the whole album to him unless someone picked up the phone and then the fucking stream would die and I'd have to start over. It's like, oh, sorry, man. My, my mom talked on the phone so you couldn't get the, the, the Gojira album I was trying to send you, you know? Right, yeah. yeah. So you guys know each other from way back then? Yeah, we, uh, we met through a, a mutual friend. Uh, he was going to school of rock back in the day uh, and uh, we met over the internet over, yeah, well, it's the messenger. And mm-hmm. uh, one day he came over and I was like, you know, I was like, oh, my, my, my buddy's coming over. I haven't met before. I'm going to like run in the basement and play like fucking, I'm going to play Graves of the Fathers on the drum kit, like as best as I can. And then we had like that cool, like teenage moment, you know, where it was just like, oh dude, he's playing Cryptopsy. That's so cool. You know, like right, right. that kind of shit, you know, it, it was fun. It was cool. And uh, yeah, we've been friends since then, man. We've uh, stayed in contact over Gmail chat after AOL. I don't actually remember the day that I switched. I think it was just like one day he was like, Hey man, everybody's using this now. And I was like, Oh, and I turned it off. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you could just Gmail me albums now. I was like, Oh, I'm like behind technologically here. You get stuck using one thing. You're like, I don't want to. Yeah. And so I, I just, I talked on Gmail chat and, uh, you know, once a year or so I would, I would fly home and from wherever I was and I'd go up and visit him like in either in his parents' place in Radnor or then when he moved into the, the city to go to college. And then I was visiting him in New York city after that. And yeah. That's how it happened. I was seeing like once a year, you know, basically I would say it'd be strange for like 10 minutes and then we'd be like, okay, no, we're good. It's right. cool. It's like we don't see anybody for a year. They're like, Oh, what? You know? Yeah. Well, I, I know the feeling after the last year. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. I guess yeah, I've never thought about that. I guess everybody else had that experience too for once. Mm-hmm. How about that? And so how quickly did you guys start working on music together? Man, um, let's see. I think I was, I just got into Pensacola, Florida. So it was like 05, maybe 04. Yeah, I think 04 probably. And uh, I was just, I was pestering him. I was just like, dude, because we didn't know anybody. We didn't play with anybody yet. He wasn't, he was, this was way before Puron. 
and I was like, dude, let's, let's try and let's try and just make a record, you know? And mm-hmm. he was like, okay. So I started just writing stuff and he was writing stuff on guitar. And uh, since I was recording everything badly, very badly recording everything, <laughs> he would send me stuff on the internet and I'd like learn his guitar parts by ear. Um, and then from there, man, yeah, we just like, uh, we just kept going until he joined Piron and uh, the sappiness thing cooled off. And then uh, after some deployments and some deliberation, uh, you know, started writing his stuff again, just making, making an album and uh, got out of the military. And then we just like, like back up and that was it, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Which is a, a very just kind of quick summation of the whole thing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Um, if you don't mind me asking, why did you join the military? Uh, uh, travel, man. And uh, just for a sense of, of, I guess a sense of individuality and probably like just the adventure of it. And mm-hmm. Um, at that point I was, you know, my parents had moved us to Jenkintown out of Northeast Philadelphia. I grew up in Northeast Philadelphia for most of my life. And, uh, we went into the burbs and, you know, I had that weird transition from being a city kid into a burbs kid, you right. know, so just kind of just being like an, a regular weird thing where you're like, Oh, I've just always lived in the burbs. Like it's a weird transition when you're a city kid first. Uh, and, uh, I kind of just was like, after a few years after high school was done, I was like, I gotta get out of here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I, I just did something drastic and I just, I bolted. I, I thought about like going and working at UPS, like doing something like just like some soul crushing job, you know, as that you can do when you're 19. And I just was like, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just jumped man. And, uh, was not even sure it was the right decision uh, until a couple of years in. And I was like, oh, I was, okay, this is okay. You know, this is, this is definitely different. So, you know, and then I stayed in for a long time and uh, I'm really summing this up just briefly, uh, but it's sure. like, it was definitely like not your, your, your regular life, man. It was like definitely a huge adventure and met a lot of people, did a lot of things, saw a lot of places and, uh, but always was like a weird person because I was always doing the music stuff on the side and like being the weirdo with the guitar and the, the barracks cave or the house cave. And they're like, what are you doing in there? <laughs> just like, just, yeah, I don't know. I just, I like, I like that juxtaposition. I like the juxtaposition of that whole military thing with the, you know, the, the music thing. Mm-hmm. So were there other like metalheads that you were interacting with or were you pretty much like, you know, odd man out? Yeah, no, I, you know, it took a while before, uh, like when I got to Washington state, I was walking around the base out there. Uh, it's just this like trepidatious thing where you're just like, all right, I'm going to go out with the Mormon angel shirt on and see, see what happens, you know, and you walk around, nothing happens for a few days. And then you got, you know, I got my, uh, I think it was my enslaved below the lights t-shirt or something. I'm walking around. I just ordered all this shit off the internet. I was like, I'm gonna get the coolest shirts. No one's going to know what any of these, stuff, you know, <laughs> any of these fucking things are. And uh, so some dude from some Prowler squadron, one of the uh, the loud jet squadrons, like was in uniform and he walked by and he just like pointed at me and like, and then from there, it just was like, it's, it's always ex- exponential when you meet these metal guys. So you have like one and then there's two or four or whatever. And then next thing you know, you're hanging out with all these people like in this span of like two months. They're like, where the fuck were you guys for the last two years? Shit. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's funny. This whole time. I I had like a similar, but like obviously way lower stakes sort of thing in like music school where it's like you find out like who the secret metalheads are throughout the building and then like it's coalesces. You got to just wave the flag, man. And you know, the metal flag is, is, is very unsubtle. Maybe one of the more unsubtle flags in the world. Quite true. Uh, Yeah. Where you're just like, oh man, you know, there's this guy with the butchered birth (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah, (laughs) it makes a statement. It does, man. Yeah, definitely. It's like getting hit in the eye of a paintball. You know, it's like you can't really miss it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 
kind of jumping forward to, you know, this particular record and a lot of the themes I've been thinking about it a lot, you know, a few like weeks back, I found a copy of hallucinations just on the street in Brooklyn. Oh, and cool. so then when I saw this, this press release about the record, I was like, Oh, well, fuck. Yeah. I already have this book. Let me like power through it and do this interview. <laughs> nice. Nice, man. Yeah. It seems because I was going back and forth between Phantom Indigo and the first record. Um, there does seem to be a, a common theme across the two of those about like lack of agency or some sort of like lack of control over one's own life and like these like sort of broader mechanical systems that you sort of get shunted through. How did you develop an interest in that particular theme or do you even see the themes of these two records to be related or, you know, am I totally they, they, on a limb here? No, no, no. It's actually interesting. I've never heard it put quite that way. Um, it's true. I think, you know, when you, when you're in a, a sort of meritocracy or kind of like military thing and you are kind of just getting pushed through, I mean, that's kind of mm. what that is. Like you, you get used to something, you kind of acclimate and they go like, now you have to do this. And you're just like, ah, ah, you know, like, and, and you know, you get moved or you move or you deploy or all that kind of shit. Even if you, you know, and you don't have a choice in the matter. It's like, Oh no, I don't, I don't like Africa. I don't want to go because it's hot as shit. And you're like, well, you're going. Right. <laughs> like, you know, all right. Well, all right. And then your air conditioner fucking freezes in the middle of the night. And, you know, uh, anyway, so uh, that's part of it. I think the other part of it is like, it's more like, the comparison between the two that I like to draw all the time is that man does not give was an externalized record where it's more about looking at kind of like what other people do and decisions they make and the kind of like violence and betrayal and things that people choose to do or maybe don't choose to do uh, mm -hmm. uh, individual, just like vignettes of that sort of thing, like short horror stories kind of thing. Like when you read like a seven or eight page horror book and it's like a short story, which I've always been fond of going back to when I first read like Shirley Jackson's The Lottery, you know, it's totally. like that kind of, you know what I mean? Which made a huge impact on me. Whereas Phantom Indigo is, is a, is an internalized record where you're just looking at the own imagery of it, like things that's going through your brain. And that was kind of the comparison, I guess, where you're just like, you just, I think of it as like a kind of uh, pointing a camera where like the man does not give us looking at this way. And, 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 you know, Phantom Indigo is this way. Totally. It's, yeah. It, yeah. And I, I, that's actually one of the themes the next record I'm thinking about is thinking about in the sense of in like an omniscient sense, more like a David Fincher camera thing, which I, I don't know. I like, I like, um, I like taking ideas and abstracting them from movies and film and director stuff. I just like movie stuff and kind of all the things that comes with that and applying principles from that, like over into music if possible. Totally. I, I remember I, I was reading an interview uh, that you did for, the first record and you mentioned the genre toolbox um, yeah. that you sort of conceptualize for how you put together songs and whatnot. And I was thinking like, Oh, that seems to me like a very like Gen X movie director way of thinking about movie making. So someone like <laughs> Fincher or, you know, Tarantino or uh, PTA or any of those sort of guys being like, Oh, well for this scene, we'll draw from this genre and from this scene, we'll, you know, shoot it this way to evoke this kind of feeling. So, yeah 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 you know uh that, that's right man and i mean like uh it's like for the same reason that someone would use like hey put a telephoto lens on that camera to compress their face to make it look like a crazy side shot i'm just talking my ass i'm just basically what i read you know? but like uh, uh it's like people don't tend to take the tools that are evident and what identifies each of the subgenres like you know 
that 180 BPM black metal blast is like a black metal blast because it's in this speed range. And it's like the first thing you think when you hear that speed range is, oh, it's this genre, mm-hmm. you know, but then there's six or seven other things. So you're decoding it like based on the tools that you're, they're being employed. And I don't know, just people just don't think of them. And they don't seem to think of them in that way. Whereas I look at it and I listen to all the different kinds of subgenres of metal. And uh, when you start writing, and you have an interest in movies and things and you start and, 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 and interest in like using tools in the Navy and, and uh, learning to you know, fix cars for the first time or something like that. It just changes your mind frame about how you look at musical stuff and why it's employed the way it is. And just looking at just arrangements of, you know, parts mm-hmm. and just being like, well, if I put all these parts together in this way without thinking about genre, then I can, then I can express the thing I was trying to do, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like the, the, the leap that I would normally see someone taking is going from being into mechanical engineering on w- whatever level and mm. then applying that to like musical gear and equipment and like yeah. getting into amps or like sure, really specific about what kind of wood you want on your drums or whatever, but you're taking it to, a, to the songs, not to the gear itself. Are you also like a big gear guy or is it just... Like- <laughs> I... I'm probably the most gear guy in Puron, which doesn't okay. mean a lot because uh, we are not gear people. I'm sure you've probably heard from the horse's mouth uh, from any of us that we're not gear people. We hate gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't hate, hate gear, but I hate talking about it and lingering on it and sure. thinking about it. like, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's like trying to, it's like talking about like, Oh, I like this screwdriver because this screwdriver is my, the, the grip feels good. And it sounds, when you tap it, it sounds like a, it's like, I don't, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't you're concerned about, about the thing that you're using the screwdriver to build and not the screwdriver yeah, itself. Yeah. 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 It doesn't, it doesn't matter if the wood is, is like inlaid maple wood. If the wood is being used to make it sound like someone's falling off a cliff or something, then that's more important than mm. the wood. <laughs> Have you always had like a big interest in, in films and TV and stuff like that? Probably always that I never really noticed uh, until the Navy when you deploy and you're in the middle of fucking nowhere and everyone around you becomes a, a film buff. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, it's just like, you know, it, it's such an interpersonal culture. I remember when, uh, this is a silly reference, but I remember when, uh, when Grandma's Boy came out. Sure. Yeah. Everyone around you is making grandma's boy jokes like for like the till the end of time for three <laughs> or four months. And like that's like a comedy example of something like that. Whereas like if you're watching, you know, like something like that's easier to reference in everyday life, but there's like there's stuff that you like you your buddies go like, Hey dude, did you see like did you see a Serbian film? I'm like, I don't what's that? And then they show you, you're like, I didn't want to see that. That's horrible. <laughs> you know? And we're in the desert where it's hot as shit. Why'd you show me that? We're all sweating in the, in the same room watching this, you know, it's like, it's, it's that, it's that element of surprise about it too, which you're just like, I'll never watch that again. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Uh, you know, so I, I think I gathered an appreciation for film just because it, it, it just takes you places. It uses multiple art forms. It uses music. Or in No Country for Old Men's case, it doesn't use music for right. a particular reason where you're like, wow, it's awesome. It just combines so many different disciplines uh, and so much, and there's so much cooperation and teamwork to put it together. That's hard not to apply to music when you think about like all the different roles everybody takes, even beyond just writing and playing the songs. You have all the production aspects of it. You have the artwork aspects, uh, all that kind of stuff, man. You Booking know, so tours like, and doing interviews. Yeah, all it's that sort so of stuff. much more than you just hacking away at your, you know, your guitar. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, if you take it somewhere, it just becomes this, like, it's way more than that. Like, and there's so many more things that go into it. It's like, it's kind of astounding. Do you have like a particular role uh, outside of just like playing the music itself that you find yourself gravitating towards? Like, for example, not everyone likes to do this particular interview sort of thing. People, some people prefer to stay away from the press, but <laughs> you seem like a fairly gregarious guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think so. I think I, I, I'm more comfortable being that way because I think it's just, uh, I don't know. It's when you get, uh, I don't want to keep saying when you get older, uh, but like that whole thing with the mystical band, it's just like, it's like, you know, with the, paint and like the fucking hiding out it's like dude you're you're from fucking you know you're from jersey (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean like you go to whole foods you've listened to lincoln park before yeah yeah. (laughs) you listen to lincoln park in ninth grade and blow out your eardrums like a dummy yeah i mean like it's there's stuff you just get tired of and then there's some stuff about the music and the things that surround it that stick around Mm. and you know uh it it comes off as being this thing it's like oh am i tired of this or is there just like a few things that are just like dumb that i don't like and it's usually the latter you know Mm -hmm. you're just like oh it's just you know you know, yeah, I, I like the interviews. I like that people are involved. I like that you're involved. I appreciate it. I always appreciate when people want to talk about it. Um, I, I like uh, I, I like less the production aspect. Doing the production aspect, I might I might outsource I might outsource that this next time. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll change my mind. I don't know. But um, I, I just I like just doing things and just making them happen. Uh, I I. I I care a lot less about like you could talk around circles around things for hours, but like it's like when you actually go out and do stuff with it, that it's like, you know, that it's important, you know? And uh, I just like every aspect of that, like either just like, whether it's like sitting down with Alex and figuring out all the art stuff for the album, well after all the music and the production and all that stuff is done, it's like, I should be tired of shit of this. But like now there's this new aspect and now we can work on this and that's cool. You know, it's like, so I just, I just like the, 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 the nuts and bolts of the whole process, you know? I imagine it's similar to like directors making movies where they have like 69 different 71 decisions to make every day, you know? <laughs> right, but it does go through those sort of cycles of like writing the script and like then like rehearsing with yeah. the actors and then shooting the thing and then editing it. Like there's different parts mm-hmm. of your brain that are activated each yes. step of the way. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. And uh, that's a more better way of saying <laughs> the roundabout, mm-hmm. you know, way I was doing. Um, so speaking of different parts of the brain being activated, uh, mm-hmm. why do you think uh, Hallucinations, the Oliver Sacks book, clicked with you? Like what, what about that book led you to think about it and apply it to your own music? I think uh, before I even picked the book up, I, I think um, I, I, the gateway was NPR uh, Fresh Air. You know Fresh Air? I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, the producer and like sort of the interviewer uh terry gross she runs the show out of uh, a studio in philadelphia and um i listen to it just for you know podcasting i drive two two and a half hours to practice up in new york city so yeah you burn through a lot of podcasts i imagine yeah you, well you also it's like if you're stuck in traffic you don't want to be listening to deicide stuck in traffic you know it's like <laughs> <laughs> wasted energy yeah it's wasted energy and it's not good for anybody you know it's just like, you know uh, it's Glenn Benton telling you to ram into the guy who's in the white BMW again. And you're like, eh, no, no, I'm going to turn a podcast on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, um, you know, I, through NPR, through Fresh Air, I, I heard the interview with Oliver Sacks, and that's where I became aware of him. And his story about the Indigo, uh, the, you know, the, the namesake of the album is it drew me into it. 
which is why I didn't call the album hallucinations, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, um, or some synonym of, uh, of that. Uh, I just kind of like connected to that story. And then as I read through it and thought about like the different images, I related a lot to the, to the idea that like everybody's got like images floating around in their head. And it's like this sort of, uh, there's the guy who's schizophrenic and he goes to the store and he walks home and nobody bothers him. He doesn't bother anybody. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. a, uh, and I'm not saying it's like a, I'm worried about it. in like a social thing, it's just something to think about where I go, like everybody's got this image, the, the different stories and just the way that people would see images and how they manifest themselves. It, it, it connected with me. And uh, I abstracted all the ideas from the book because I mean, if you, the thing with the book that's tricky, if you start trying to talk about it is that if you make too specific a reference, you're just like, dude, you just like, you just ransacked the book for right. idea. You knocked the, the vending machine over and you just took all the candy, you know, like <laughs> totally. Yeah. I feel like a lot of prog metal records kind of have that problem yes. when they're doing adaptations where it's just like, yeah, let me just copy like beat by beat what the story is instead of like taking a more abstracted approach to translating it into a new medium. Yeah, so there goes James Labrie singing about Sherlock Holmes, you know, or, <laughs> and then the next song is called Winston or Wilson or whatever. Right. <laughs> oh, dude, so cheesy, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's actually not too bad of a point of comparison because there's like that, uh, that Dream Theater record, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence. Inner Turbulence, yeah. Which is like the mo- I, I bought just- it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I bought it back in the day. I don't, I don't listen to it anymore, but yeah. As I said, I went to music school and I'm a metal guy. So I had a dream theater phase. So no, yeah. no harm. I think yeah. probably, but when you walk through the door, they probably hit you with that men in black, like, like flash stick. And you just get like, oh, did Jordan Peter, you know, Jordan, uh, Jordan Peterson, Jesus Christ. Jordan Rudis. <laughs> you know, I decided to no. Knowing John Petrucci's politics, uh, that's probably not too far off. (laughs) Probably probably not. So he's smiling on the side, just like, yep, yep. Um, But yeah, like that DSM adaptation is just like, well, this chapter's about this. So this song is going to be like, um, I was thinking actually a lot just to kind of jump around about the sort of trend of like heavy metal and extreme metal records that are about the you know the theater of the mind i was thinking about that blotted science album uh the machinations of dementia mm-hmm. yeah also has like a sort of top-down compositional approach where it's like oh this song's about amnesia so the riffs will feel more and more like disjointed sure and sure like cut up every time they loop around uh, when i was reading that interview with cody the way you talked about tautology reminded me of that kind of approach it's what do you think it is about like extreme metal that lends itself to those kind of themes I think uh, I, I think that extreme metal it, it is it always takes you to the more obviously it just takes you to the most extreme like areas of thought and myth and you know like obviously starting with like Satan and then moving forward into everything else it became and but there's also this this exploratory aspect where you just kind of have to keep getting back on the ship and looking you know, for, for, for new land, you know, and, uh, I think, you know, it's, um, also a standing on the shoulders of giants thing where, uh, you know, you've, you've already heard 10 great albums about Satan, uh, from, from Akrakaka and, you know, fucking covenant and all that kind of stuff. And so you're like, why, what can I can really contribute to this? You know, like, and so everybody keeps pushing it forward, you know, like small groups of people within the genre decide they want to do something else and they, they push out, you know, mm-hmm. and you get obscure from that and you get 
you know, a lot of really great records from that. I, I think that's where, that's where I was, where I'm always the most interested. Uh, that's where you get like, uh, boxes like American Nervoso and like that kind of stuff where it's like that stuff, you can't compare that to anything except for everything around that time period. You know? Right. And so it's like, there's always clumps of people just pushing things in these different directions. I think it lends itself to just being exploratory and just generally outside, just outside of culture or just looking at it differently. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I, and like, uh, the, just the physical aspect of performing the music too. Like it just, like, it's just a feeling of physically and mentally just pushing everything as far as you can push it, you know? Totally. Um, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to have anything to do with being controversial or like being a, a fucking shithead, you know? <laughs> uh, it, it could just be just a new, I like a new train of thought or a new line of thought that just hasn't been explored yet. You know sure. I mean? Uh, it's interesting though, because I mean, you go all the way back to like Black Sabbath, Paranoid. You already yeah. have like mental health as like a recurring theme throughout the entire history of heavy metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think there's a reason for that. Um, I think it's uh, you get a you, you get like the <laughs> the land of misfit toys. You know, mm-hmm. which is like which is the a lot of people who play this music are around. I'm not saying everybody's fucked up, but it's you know someone's got something going on. And they're usually more aware of it than the average person who's just going to Wall Street and you know putting a kitten through an ATM machine, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so to speak. So to speak, you know. Sure, sure. Um, um, so I think that that just that that particular aspect of of lyrical or ideas like those thoughts are just come to the forefront because people are just aware that like, man, this like meat suit that I'm piloting around with this brain, man, this brain is like messed up. And it's like, what is going on with this thing? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it, it comes up even as, as the, as the conversation shifts from Satan into other dragons and other stuff, you know, that's always lurking in the background. You always see like sanitarium on master of puppets or, right. you know, like there's that it's, it just pops up every like diary of a madman, you know, diary of a madman. Like it just, it's always, it's always there. And it's, it's interesting, like thinking about the way that Oliver Sacks describes it in Hallucinations, he's sort of drawing this link between those sort of supernatural or superstitious things that are like so uh, prevalent in throughout human history. And he's sort of drawing the connection that all of these things are, are actually connected to uh, underlying psychological or neurological yes. issues. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's almost like even the Satan stuff is ultimately about mental health on one level or another, you know? Yeah. Yeah, megalomania <laughs> or some other form of it, you know, whatever it's going to be. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, man. I mean, like that's, I, I, it, people always look for it and it keeps manifesting itself within the genre because it's just, this is the best. I mean, this is the genre to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, uh, if I think I, you can do it in the other genres, uh, it can be really cool to like listen to Dan Weiss's stare baby and think about like how much maybe he thought about like, infusing that those metal themes into that kind of jazz and you know having this, this weird cover with like children on the front and being like you know how is he venting like the, the mental stuff with that like or just thinking about what people do with other mediums you know totally or king, king crimson's uh you know the uh, the fucking larks tons and aspect and stuff like that where you're like what the f-? you know Right. Or you can go even further back. Like I, I work in classical music for my day job. And so like uh, Berlioz's Symphony Fantastique, it's all about having like an insane opium trip, you know? And oh, wow. so like 
reading the section in hallucinations where I, one of the things i loved about the book is he's like yeah I, i've also done a ton of drugs <laughs> like yeah yeah, kind of yeah like oh cool you know what you're talking about here um, yeah well yeah it, it, it makes him seem less like because i mean because academic types like it's just like you just kind of like oh, all right man you know like it's it, it's mm-hmm. it's like it's 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 always a, a lot but when he's just like no yeah i did drugs it's all pearl-shaped blob you're like this guy's awesome <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah it's not because he that, that's not just the fact that he did drugs so you know you're like he's like oh he's cool yeah. it's like it, it, it's no to drugs i don't know whatever um uh he's just he's just uh you know it just makes it easier to hear it coming from him and because he totally. just talks he talks so eloquently about it and he talks with a lot of humanity about it it's not like this disconnected doctoral thing where it's like and then he ripped his own face off oh, what does that mean you know mm-hmm. dick, 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 and it's just notes you know yeah, I, I've always, everything that I've read from him, I'm struck by like the lack of condescension, the lack of remove that yes. he has yeah. and the sort of way yeah. that it like humanizes the the condition itself. So where it's like, I feel like, you know, it's one of the things I worry about is like, oh, what would happen if I lost my mind at some point? Oh, dude. Reading this, it's now like, well, it seems like a lot of people do and I'm like slightly less scared of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I definitely, actually, I share that feeling. I definitely feel a little less afraid of it because i'd be like well what, what what would i care i'm just out there having a good time my brain wouldn't know that something was wrong you know mm-hmm. um and that's but that's kind of like another theme that was explored on the album and that's another reason that i was i was gravitating towards hallucinations is like if if one day it went from like oh i laughed out loud because i thought about something funny that happened last year but nobody else knew i was thinking so they thought i looked crazy what if it went from that to like uh, he steals fire hydrants and goes, you know, and goes and sleeps with the rats, you know, like right. uh, it, whatever. <laughs> Those are more physical things, but you get, you get what I'm saying. Totally. Um, it, you, would you even know, you know, it's, it's, it's that travel, it's that passage through that, that is interesting, you know, that sticks with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I, I liked about your sort of interpretation of the book was even in the title itself, Phantom Indigo, it's almost like you've drew this line from the end of the book, which is about phantom limbs. Uh, mm-hmm. to something that happens earlier in the book, which is about like the color indigo and the fact that he only sees it, you know, twice in his entire life. And it's this like missing thing. And I didn't realize until, you know, you made that connection where like the color indigo is itself a phantom limb for him on some degree. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. Was that like a conscious thing that you were doing? Like what, I, I'm curious, like what your interpretation of the title and the, the, ma- the primary theme of that phrase is for you. You, you know, uh, the phrase, it, it just, it talks, it, it has so many levels to it where it's, it's just, uh, taking it from his meaning of the things he was talking about in the story of it, you almost wonder what he was really referring to when he was talking about it. Cause he just talked about it so literally in the story that it just makes you think like, what does he think about that? Like more mm-hmm. in depth. I mean, the Phantom Limb thing definitely is like something that, that's like a piece of it, but it's like, it's just so surface. Like, ah, man, I want to know more about that. You know, which was all chapter more two chapters on that. But like, Mm -hmm. uh, my, my, the relational thing to me is the fact that you can have these images floating around your mind, these things that like are and are not real at the same time. And your perceptions of things don't, you know, they, they don't, they aren't necessarily true. In fact, mine that aren't true most of the time, (laughs) you know, like, and, but if you get stuck with them for a long time, uh, those images, you know, they, they, you know, make you think that what you think is right for a, a long time. And those, those issues you may have with depression or self-esteem or things like of that nature, 
make it, it makes it really easy with, with, you know, add a little isolation and uh, that, that recipe is, is, is powerful. So there's that aspect of it. Uh, and just also the aspect of like, when like a shock of emotion comes over you that you weren't ready for coupled with these, with, with this, with this set of thought patterns you could fall into. Uh, I mean, isolation is just bad, bad for humanity. <laughs> it's bad for a person to sit for a month, a year or whatever, and just be like, living inside your head of your own experience and not really getting perspective and seeing people and getting that social interaction. And mm-hmm. that, you know, so I think all those aspects of it, like uh, it made me want to write an album about it because talking about it feels like so technical and detached. Whereas like the feeling of it is not like something that you can easily talk about. Whereas like if you get a splash of this emotion that hits you and it's overwhelming sensation of imagers and things that you're thinking about in your head, it's so much more immediate if you can translate those ideas just into guitars, mm-hmm. you know, and just do it in the right way that it just sounds like it's just happening to you rather than talking about it intellectually. You know what I mean? Totally. I think there's something to the fact that this is, at least as far as I know, this is still like a studio only project, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for now. Yeah. yeah. And so the only way that people can experience your music is going to be primarily yeah. like on headphones or by themselves to some degree, not to say that there aren't people throwing it on at parties. I don't know how people live their lives, uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't either, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I listened to it and ate a Snickers bar. It felt great. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think there's kind of an interesting confluence there where it's like, it's music that is particularly with this record, as you described it, looking internally and it being a music that you can really only experience internally kind of sets it up so that, those sort of themes are already going to be top of mind for anyone who's listening to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, and it's, it's um, the title itself is supposed to be kind of a catalyst where if you look at it and then you hear the first sets of riffs, you go like, okay, I see mm-hmm. what the fuck, I see what, what's going on here. You know, I, I wanted the immediacy of it to be very, very, very quick. You know what I mean? I wanted to come up, kind of come over people and kind of like get them to live in the world that's, you know, and there's a lot of things that are employed in the music beyond just the guitars and the kind of stuff and some of the automation that I was doing in the production of it, where I took Doug's voice, which is normally like, it's very, very loud on like a Puron record where it's like, you can hear all the enunciations. And I made a very like a uh, conscious decision to kind of put his voice in the center and mm-hmm. kind of make it where you're reaching to hear his vocals here. And so you reach in and you're listening for it. And meantime, the guitars are just surround. You're just surrounded by guitars. Now, right. You know? So there's like very, like there's stuff that was used in the production of the, the album as well. Uh, going back to the, you know, the movie director who does this thing for a particular reason, you know, puts this person's face in this frame and then in this frame, you know, they're talking to each other and then he switches it and they're like this, you know, whatever. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've, every time I've played the record, I've had this experience of it starts and I like just kind of cr- like gradually crank it over the course of like the first song. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. Perfect. That's exactly what I was trying to get to, to happen. Um, <laughs> I've got a, it's interesting though, because even though the music is going to be primarily experienced, you know, in a isolated setting, and even though it is like your baby, there's still a lot of collaboration. Like at, for example, with Doug, like, you're not the one writing the lyrics. So you're kind of like, you have to give some degree of agency and control over to him. Do you, how extensively do the two of you talk over 
the themes of the of the particular song or what what is that process like to get to the point where you feel like the lyrics are like the right lyrics for a particular track well you know the the object his objectivity and his skill and his craft i trust mm -hmm. um so the only the, the only point that i take it to is i give him all my song titles i write all the song titles out and i say this is why i use them this is what i th was thinking when i picked them this is kind of like musically like in my mind what this is about and i'll write him like a long set of emails or like things about it so that he can read it a few times and that's it like literally like i he goes okay like i think i get it and sometimes like especially in the, in the case of man does not give he changes the song titles because like he you know you got to give him some agency with that too where your idea is still in there but it's not the original title that you picked but it's serving the song better because it's serving the lyrics and the vocals better and so it like is you i i have to let go of the idea of you have to use this song title because otherwise the music doesn't work that that's not true mm -hmm. um that the initial thing the initial song title i picked uh was a catalyst for the music and then the, the music caused the lyrics and the vocals and then that caused the title so it's you gotta let it go like all the way around uh in this case on this album uh doug kept almost all of the titles and wrote around them and used them as a template i think uh, you, i mean uh, I'm talking with Ian Chaney tomorrow and I think actually I'll have Doug on with me. Uh, so hopefully some more of that information will come out and uh, retroactively that can be answered a little better than this, but uh, sure, sure. You know, but I'd say like, you know, but I, I trust his agency and his ability and he's just way better at, at it than me. Uh, I don't write lyrics. You know, I, I, I am, I'm more interested in like the soundscapes and the, you know, the, the washing over and like the technical aspects of the playing and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I've got, I don't know. I'm a shit lyric writer. <laughs> I also don't have to do any of, this, of the screaming or anything. So it's like, it seems unfair to be like, here, you know, like, <laughs> these are my problems. And now you're, now they're your problems. <laughs> you know, it doesn't seem right. Uh, sort of along those same lines on this record, you have a bunch of guest guitarists uh, doing the solos or lead guitar work on a bunch of different songs. What was the process for bringing in those specific people? And why did you pair those songs with those guitarists? Uh, it was casting. Uh -huh. uh, it kind of it was casting. Uh, I, I in, in song one, uh, I had a, a, a repeating like second chorus thing, and I was like, and I you know the other day I'd listened to to Hive Lords, the tapered limbs of a, a you know tapered limbs of a falling star or whatever I can't remember what it's called exactly, but Evan Void plays on that record along with Lydia, and they're both Philly Philly natives. And he played with Tombs and a bunch of other bands for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, and I just made me think like, I should just hand this. I didn't tell him what to play, but I knew what part he belonged on. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's just like in movies where if you have good casting, it sorts itself out. Right. Uh, I knew that if I had like a big clattering mess, rhythmic noise that Pete Lloyd was going to be the guy for that section. I can't tell you why. I just thought like, I just heard his playing over it and I can't, you know, I can't play guitar like that, like the way that he would do it. He'll do it much better. And he gives it like the con, he, he just gives it another angle where it doesn't have my fingerprint on it, where my fingerprint is so prominent everywhere else already. So it adds that extra dimension to it. And so I just, I just picked the, the, those sections as possible guitar solo sections. And, and it's the same thing with, with Doug. I just went like, I got the right people. And if they're interested, they'll do the right thing. And 
I think I used almost everybody's first take on their mm. album. It was just wow. bam, 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 done. And I was like, that fits great. <laughs> right. know, like, yeah, crazy. <laughs> so going back to the genre toolbox idea, still it seems like most of the the tools inside of that toolbox are metallic in some way or another or heavy music related. Could you mm-hmm. ever see yourself need, having a concept for a song or having a concept for a piece that would require you to get more tools into that toolbox or to reach out into further areas? Oh, absolutely. Um, there are a lot of metallic tools on the album, but there are tools there that weren't necessarily metallic Eric's bass part in Deuteragonist in the middle um, where he's got like two different, it's actually two bass guitars. Oh. Uh, there's one that's like an echoey pirate ship reverby sounding one. Uh-huh. And then there's one that is like a repeating refrain. And I got the repeating idea from a Yowie record from actually a lot of performance of a Yowie thing mm. like that they did in like uh, one of their open stores in uh, St. Louis. And I got the, the bass, the bass guitar idea from that. It had nothing to do with like any death metal stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's stuff that I hear. Well, what's the particular record? Uh, the sound, the shape of jazz to come by Ornette oh, Coleman. Yeah, totally. there's stuff. There's freak out stuff on the album that came that did not come from Piron. It came from like was thinking about Ornette Coleman, and I mean, it, you know, it came a little bit from Piron, but like it wasn't like a now I'll throw a Piron part in here, you know, because it's mm-hmm. just like not the thing I'm work I'm worried about. But like uh, the way jazz players do improv. Uh, there's just so many ways to approach it. And when you're, it's an interesting dichotomy when trying to figure out how to make that happen. When you're orchestrating a record, you're not doing it live. You're not improving with other people. So like that, like freak out part and those, any freak out parts on that album were like, okay, I have to count 20 beats and I have to make sure I count 20 beats every time. And I have to do a few takes of this and then make sure I don't miss the cues and have A and B making sure A and B is good. And then like, you know, so like there, there's other uh, non-metallic references around. I think with the next record, I, I started listening to a lot more like mid period killing joke, uh, which is still pretty, you know, still pretty heavy, but like mm-hmm. uh, stuff from old rock records. Um, I was a big massive attack fan for a long time. There's stuff in massive attack that I enjoy stuff from death grips that I enjoy, uh, which I guess that's actually pretty metallic if I think about it, but <laughs> certainly uh, metal friendly, if not metal, metal friendly. Yeah. yeah. Well, just, just chaos friendly, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, like there's definitely like those influences, they they're floating around and I get, I get ideas from other genres uh, and then I immediately pervert them into death metal ideas. <laughs> and I just go like, you know what I mean? It's Cause it's just what fits better. Sure. Um, you can't Mr. Bungle your way into like a, a kazoo in the middle of like <laughs> this obsession. You're like, dude, what the fuck was that? You know, like right. <laughs> out of nowhere and only in one part of the record. Like it's just like, yeah. it breaks the immersion. Yeah. Breaks the immersion a little bit. Like, yeah, it's a spark plug through the window of your experience. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was going to ask, I, I'm glad you sort of alluded to this, like wh- how is the process of playing in Piran and, and collaborating and all of that sort of stuff, how, has that affected the way that you write music for yourself or has that bled into the way that you write music for yourself? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, the stuff we do in Piran, it's fun to leave it where it is. I like to, because uh, the things that make Piran work are not the things that make Sapidus work. Mm-hmm. Uh, necessarily, uh, other than your just general democracy and cooperation that needs to take place anyway. Uh, the general tools of getting the stuff done is the same, but like 
the intercommunication in Puron is, is like the, one of the best things about it. Uh, and it's what writes all the songs and it's what does all the improvs and it, uh, you know, it makes the band what it is. Uh, so that is like the core of, uh, of that group. And so it, in my mind, it can't really apply to Sapidus or even Weeping Source, in my opinion, because it just, you have, you know, the individual conductors like moving the brooms up the stairs, you know, thinking <laughs> for your Fantasia uh, yeah. immersion there. Uh, you know, you got Doug in his bedroom doing that. And I got me in my kitchen doing that. And so it's like, it's its its, its own thing. Uh, the crossover of the appreciation of the music's that get employed in the bands are the same, but like, yeah, I mean like that, that's what makes Puron unique to me is just that interdisciplinary cooperation and all the, all the havoc that flies around, you know? <laughs> um, I know that you, you're being a bit secretive and I totally respect it about the, the next record, but since you are working on it, I, I feel like I have to ask at least some questions about like what kind of new material you're working on. Um, so I'm going to do this in maybe a more abstract way. What sort of movies or films or, you know, TV shows do you have in mind or could you compare the themes <laughs> to for, uh, for the next Sepidus record? Uh, um, I've been going a lot back to uh, There Will Be Blood and, and uh, Mo Country for Old Men. Just mm-hmm. as a pair, it's a fantastic visual and uh, fantastic atmosphere I'm watching The Wire as usual. My partner, Deb, had not seen uh, all the way to the end of it. So I was more, I was like, oh, of course I'll watch it with you. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I'll watch it at the end. No problem. Uh, man, what else have it been? Uh, Annihilation. But oh, I guess yeah. that's, that's kind of come and gone because that's, uh, that, uh, that still has also informed like the next material too, just because the visual aspect of it and the fact that I also read the Southern Reach uh, not the whole trilogy, but the um, Annihilation and Control I read through. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm getting, I'm hitting a drag with the third one. I can't quite get all the way through it. Um, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I, read, I, loved the, I loved the movie like that. Yeah. I, I also write music and that, that movie has a, a, plays a big part into my own stuff as well. So isn't it amazing? It, it looks so fantastic. Uh, visually, it's just such a, you know, that has a parallel with like Arrival for me. Arrival is another big one where Arrival mm-hmm. is... Um, you know, just the just the the creativity of. The, have you seen Arrival? Yeah, I saw it in theaters when it came out. Yeah, with, with the line, with the circular language and time, and, and I mean, it's like I've watched that over and over again. And uh, you know, the Lighthouse, which has mm-hmm. been one of the newer movies that I've been a huge, huge fan of. Yeah, man, like there's a lot of stuff kind of with that. Uh, there was a book I read uh, about. It's called like Beneath or Underground. I don't remember exactly what it was. It was, it was a book about this guy wrote about like things that happen underground, like salt mines and physics labs and different kinds of flowers and mushrooms that grow and people cliff diving and doing the, uh, the cave diving stuff and exploring. Uh, there's a whole book that this dude wrote that I've been reading uh, on and off over the last couple months. And, you know, it's that kind of stuff. Right. That seems particularly apt considering the band name and considering yeah. the, you know, sort of psychological yeah, theme. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a a good metaphor there. I'm curious about uh, the no country and there will be blood thing. Cause that feels like a, a bit of a different um, ingredient compared to the other stuff that you're mentioning. What is it about those movies that's like really grabbing you these days? It's the atmosphere mostly for me. Uh, the fact that it's just like, y- you have like, the perspective of just one person out by themselves for such a long time. Mm. Um, 
at like whether you're talking about plant Daniel Plainview or you're talking about uh Llewellyn Moss, you know, the 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 uh, protagonists, I guess, if you want to say for I don't know what you would say about Daniel Day Lewis's character, just a protagonist or whatever. Anti hero. Anti hero. Yeah. yeah. Or just anti. <laughs> um, Devil incarnate. You know, just, you know? <laughs> it's it's yeah, yeah. Well it's the way that it's that that their consciousnesses are framed and that you get the sense that what characters are looking at, like before a character shows up on the screen, sometimes they'll the directors will put this image of this like vast New Mexican landscape or Texas landscape, and then it cuts to them look looking at something, and it's like you almost wonder if they picked particular lenses for what they were looking at. If it was like this character was looking at this, they used this size lens, or it's like it's still it's still thinking about what tools you employ, where do you use the charoscuro of the fucking oil on the side of his face in the middle of the night, like that kind of, it's just, there's, there's stuff about it that just tickles me that I can't like stuff because it's just so incredibly well made. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, you know the story that about like the shooting of those two movies, how the like oil rig fire in yeah. There'll Be Blood like <laughs> stopped shooting. It, 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 yeah, it interrupted them for like five days. Yeah, uh, I love that, um, that they were just like, shooting it at the same time and then just had to face off and like the, for their like Oscar awards and a lot of other shit. And like, it's yeah. just like, the awards are less interesting, obviously, but like, <laughs> uh, just like that, it's like spy versus spy where like, mm-hmm. it's like you have like Paul Thomas Anderson with the binoculars and then <laughs> over here and you got the Coen brothers on the other side with like the binoculars. Like you just wonder, you know, <laughs> totally. I, I love that. Like, cause I know people that like aren't into either of them, get them confused and it's like, well, you're, Oh yeah. You know, yeah. it's of, of all the types of movies to get confused. Like these, these feel do what th- those movies do feel like a spiritual pair in some way. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. It's the same dimension. It's the same story in different dimensions, or it's like two different stories in the same dimension, whether, whatever way you want to look at it, they just mm-hmm. like exist almost literally on the same plane, you know, because of that this aforementioned story, you know, right. yeah. of blowing the oil derrick up and making a giant clap <laughs> with what I think was, uh, I think it was like McDonald's chocolate sauce. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah. They're also both like, you could see them being a continuation of the same theme of like greed and like what, how it will destroy you like figuratively and then extremely literally in the case of no country. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and the mind frame that, that breeds that, mm-hmm. uh, uh, which, you know, idea-wise is more prominent on Man Does Not Give rather more than Phantom Indigo, or just, that's just more of like a flash of images than saying like, these are these individual horrible things that happen, <laughs> which is more in the regular death metal tradition rather than just this like, this like, ah, it's like peace, you know, where it's like an overload of images. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just fascinated with those movies. And I think that, you know, if I, the collective of all those images and thoughts and perspectives are just sort of stuff I think about throughout the day. Totally. Um, so, so I think really I want to be respectful of your time and not push it too far. Oh, yeah, 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 man. Um, what, what else do you have coming up in the, the near future? Uh, um, Piron's probably going to start writing again um, very shortly. I think I'm going to go up and see the guys on Sunday uh, since we've all been long vaccinated by now. And the world seems to be going back to normal-ish <laughs> somewhat. Uh, Weeping Sores is probably the next thing on the rotation. Doug has uh, quite a bit of it done. Uh, so I think I'd probably say that is next. I'm probably pretty safe to say that that one's next. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, 
and then probably Piron and then Sepidus, but we'll see. I don't know. You never know. Sometimes stuff gets done really fast. Sometimes stuff gets held up and now it's like, oh, this one's ready. Like, yeah, like mm-hmm. out you go, you know? I'm guessing it's not quite at the point of talking about like playing shows or touring or anything like that. Uh, no, that, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's stuff in the works. Um, we're talking about what kind of shows, what kind of tours we'd like to do. Um, if, uh, you know, provided that we can, that we can, you know, land it that we could get the right bands to go out with and stuff but there's yeah there's stuff in the works you know it's uh it's not like the dead zone that it's been the last year where we were like well chalk that shit up like i guess we didn't get to play abscess time life like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like oh well yeah. you know yeah just one pig destroyer show and that was it I'm like oh crap but i guess uh you know, we're, we're definitely gonna try and do a lot of that material live whenever we can do it totally fuck yeah um, well, I, I'm a big fan of the record, uh, and I'm excited to see what you've got coming down the pipe. This has been a, a really fun interview. I'm, thank you for hopping on, you know? Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I had a great time. Uh, I like talking about all this silly shit, you know? Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, man. And uh, Oh, and congratulations on re- uh, releasing your record. Oh, yeah. That's thank really, you, it's really cool. Yeah. Isn't it, is it feel good to push one out? It does. It, it's been a minute, so it does feel good to to get that out in the world. I feel like that one's just kind of an appetizer for the next one. You know, good, 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 good. Yeah. Tomorrow is that. another uh, mixing meeting for uh, the the next full length. So yeah. Good man, right on. Yeah, just keep on top of it, and you'll. It always just gets better and better the more you do it. Yep. The way out mm. is through. 100%. The way out is through. That's correct. That's what Trent said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much Uh, for joining me. Peace, dude. Take care. Thank you again for listening. You can find links to Sepatis' music in the show notes, as well as links to Puron, Weeping Sores, and my own most recent album, You Can't Do This Alone. If you like this episode, please give it a good rating and review, or send it to someone who you think would dig it. You can reach me at lambdaformsband at gmail.com. Until next time.